Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Ryan Berman is a special guest on today's show. He's the founder of Courageous. He's the author of Return on Courage, a keynote speaker and host of the Courageous podcast. But before we get a chance to speak with Ryan, it's a Leadership Hacker News. Courage is a prerequisite for truly great leadership. And while it has many faces, at the heart of courageous leadership is the willingness to take action amidst uncertainty, to do what's right over what's expected, and to risk failing and falling short in the process. The reason is, unless leaders are willing to lay down our psychological safety on the line for the sake of those that we serve, no amount of brilliance or showmanship will ever suffice. Now, one such leader who demonstrates great courage is Reid Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn. Despite many people telling Reid he'll never win, he'll never succeed, and LinkedIn will never work, he forged ahead with the creation of a global billion-dollar company and turned those doubters around. Throughout his life, his life's mission was to enable and communicate through networks, emotions and stories. And the irony is, as whilst he's been incredibly brave, he now also facilitates braveness and courage to help others unlock their courage and entrepreneurship. Reed's first act of corporate courage came from walking into a magazine editorial office at the age of 12, having read penned an article. When he presented the findings to the editor, the editor was so pleased that Reed was offered a job. Throughout his life he took a view of seeking out people not like him but who were opposed to him and when studying at Oxford at a time where Apple's stock price had plummeted he was able to invest a small amount of money in Apple and at the same time launch a new product that he called socialnet.com in 1996. It started out as a dating site also connecting sports clubs and friends and in parallel having launched an early version of a PDA called Palm Pilot which is a mobile computing device and having unintentionally attracted lots of eBay sellers, encouraged his investors to pivot. He encountered fierce opposition from them as this was not their target market. Despite this, he encouraged them all to be courageous and pivot entirely away from the mobile device, but focusing in entirely on payments using an early version which has later become PayPal. This was a courageous move as he had to convince eBay not to drive them off the platform as they had their own payment system, Visa to withhold the payments and not shut them down, and he also had to persuade the federal government that he wasn't a bank, and this resulted in true disruption of an industry that was very established and very heavily regulated at the time. Faced with being sued by the Fed for money laundering, Reed met with them and challenged their whole way of operating, and asked them crazy questions such as, what defines a bank, which subsequently led to the way that banking license reform played out across the world. PayPal became such a force, the only way that eBay could control PayPal was to buy them. When he first went to his well-established entrepreneurial friend network with the idea of LinkedIn, most said it would never work. Why would I allow access to my well-established network? 
he managed to convince 20 of his friends to sign up on the service and described the process like throwing himself off a cliff and assembling the airplane on the way down, building as he learned and as it developed. Now a multi-billionaire in his own right, known as the startup whisperer of the Silicon Valley, he has made early investments against the status quo, showing courage where others didn't have the conviction, including in investments such as Facebook, YouTube, Yelp, Flickr. He's now a partner at Greylock, essentially a venture capital firm, which in its own right is now worth over $10 billion, and whose portfolio includes companies such as Airbnb, Instagram, Dropbox, Pandora, and Workday. His premise for all his investments is clear, and it follows a very simple five-step process. One, does it solve a problem that people don't know they have? Two, is it transformational and disruptive? Three, is it a great scale mission? Four, does it have an interesting application that can help the consumer? And five, will it create world-class entrepreneurs? So when you ask the question, what was it that sets Reed apart from others? The answer lay with action, and a lack of fear of failing. That's been a Leadership Hacker News. If you have any insights, information that you'd like to share with our listeners, please get in touch. We've got a very courageous guy on our show today. Ryan Berman is the founder of Courageous, which is a business change consultancy. He's also a speaker, podcast host of the Courageous podcast, and author of the book Return on Courage. Ryan, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm really good. I'm delighted that you're with us today. For folks that are not familiar with your work and what you do at Courage, just tell us a little bit about the backstory as to kind of how you've arrived at doing what you're doing now. Yeah, let me let me start by doing what you shouldn't do. I'm going to correct you out of the gate that I don't actually know if I'm courageous. You know, I'm a, I'm a compensated observationalist, meaning um, I've been able to to get quiet and go around the country and here in the states and interview people who are courageous and try to sort of connect the dots on on how they're doing it and taking what I learned over over three years of doing that um, has put me in a position to at least talk about what it takes for people to be courageous. It's funny, I met with uh, Bob Iger who was running Disney probably six months ago and our books had come out and we swapped books and I remember saying to him, man, like, there's a big difference between observing courage and living courage and you are living courage at Disney, like with Disney plus and the things that they have created. And so, you know, am I an expert on courage? Um, do I want to nudge my, my, my clients to be more courageous and do I give them the, the reasons why we need to be courageous? A- absolutely. Do Do I believe that courageous ideas are the only ones that matter? Absolutely. And my, my background, I'm, I'm a recovering advertising guy and you know, I learned in New York city, from the Mad Men days, um, those were my mentors and have done creative work. Even still today, we're doing work for like Google and Charity Water, Major League Baseball, Johnson Johnson, Caesars Entertainment, um, and their partnership with the National Football League. That's the one in America with your hands, not your feet. Yeah, that's it. And, um, <laughs> and now, like I said, anywhere where a company really needs to re, whether that's re-energize people or rethink an idea or reinvent tomorrow, we're swooping in and bolting onto teams and helping them muster the courage to take action on that change. Isn't courage a perspective, though? So someone argued that for you having the wherewithal to pivot from your career, watch, learn, observe, contact these global organizations, that's surely got to take courage, right? Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a little bit of a, to your point, it's it's a relative thought, meaning 
you know, and I'm a metaphor guy, so forgive me that I'm going to speak in metaphor today, but imagine you're a skier and we get you to the mountain and some skiers are bunny slow people. Some, some skiers are jumping out of helicopters on the black diamonds or double black diamonds. And so I think, you know, the, the big takeaway is if I can't get you to the mountain, right? If you're, there's no willingness to be courageous and then I'm the wrong guy for you. But once we get you to the mountain, we can start to build that courageous muscle. And and um, it really is about the mindset, you know, and in business, as you know, this is exactly the time of year where people are goal setting for 2021, 2022. And what we usually do is we apply that skill set, like who can help me achieve this? And what's missing is the metal and the mindset, the, the courageous mentality uh, to get you over all those hurdles you're about to embark on if you take on a hard new task called change. Right. So what would be your definition of courage? Yeah, you know, this is the question. This is the question that sent me down my own personal rabbit hole because if you look at the dictionary definition of courage, it's the ability to do something that frightens one. And I don't know about you, but like that doesn't sound attractive to me. It's not particularly empowering, right? Yeah, let's do that. Like, and, and by the way, layer that on, like do something terrifying at work and like, please step forward. I'm taking a step back. And so part of this, and then was like to come up with part of my journey of, of writing Return on Courage was, could I come up with a better definition of courage, a more utilitarian version that while you're in the messy middle of a project that needs courage, you, you can recognize it. You can spot, oh, this is exactly a moment where we are being courageous. And so, you know, and by the way, you can imagine like my own mental sparring on like, who am I to judge the dictionary definition, by the way, of a word, right? Like right. as a guy that didn't go to an Ivy League school, but here I was, you know, the first six months of the book writing process was really trying to come up with this definition. Where I landed was three levers of courage. There's knowledge, there's faith and there's action. And, you know, you think about business and people wish that they had every bit of data they needed to make a call. And if you're going to wait for a hundred percent of the data, you're just, you're just going to get passed. You're going to get passed by a competitor. And so, uh, but knowledge is important and you're never going to have every bit of knowledge you need, which is why we need faith. And when we talk about faith, we're not talking about it from a religious sense. We're talking about it from a intuition sense, from a belief sense, from a feeling sense. And then how often in your career have you had the knowledge to make a call and you felt it was the right move and you did nothing about it? So the action piece is the critical difference. It's the piece that takes you from um, doing something and not doing something. And that's the irony here is doing Two of three in any directions is not courageous, right? Knowledge plus faith without action is paralysis. And faith in action without knowledge is a reckless move. And what I've learned is that knowledge and action without faith, like if you're numb on the inside, you're probably just going through the motions. You're working on status quo. And when your idea hits the market, it's going to blend in with the thousands and thousands of other ideas. It's not going to do what it needs to do. So, you know, what, what we do is try to help companies think through like, how, you know, which knowledge should I be following? How do you actually build internal and external faith with a, your employees or customers? And then where, where do we take action? That's a really neat metaphor. And ironically, you talk about intuition and faith. And intuition is one of those things that you see in great leaders who rely on their intuition. They use it. They, they recognize that it's got some deeper sense of understanding because it comes from that unconscious part of our mind, right? You know what? Maybe that's another book. I just know like if the, if the mind, the head part is the 
is the knowledge part uh, and somewhere beyond below the head part, right? I don't know if it's the heart or, you know, I've even started to explore this idea, Steve, of like, you know, we, we know where our mind is, right? We know that's up, up top. We know where our heart is, but like, where, where's our soul? Like where exactly does our soul reside in our body? Is it, is it everywhere? And in some ways, I think that faith part, that feel part, you know, finding that soul part of your company should be living everywhere. And I think that's part of this conversation too. It's like helping companies find their soul again and what makes them special. And then once you have that, that on lockdown, you know how to take action in, in all facets of your business. That's really fascinating. So your book, Return on Courage, is a bit of a playbook for helping people with that courageous leap of faith when they're going through change and transformation. What was it that kind of gave you that energy to put pen to paper? You know what? You know, if I'm like very honest, it was a a devious attempt at first to market my creative marketing agency in a city that's not known for creativity. You know, we're not my company's in, in, in San Diego, you know, we're, we're known for fish tacos, not for solving, <laughs> you know, massive, complicated business problems. And um, back in 2015, and I said this earlier, like we, we were we were growing and doing very good work, but the golf course conversation, as I would like to call it, was complicated. We would We would find a decision maker who would fall in love with us and knew that we had done the homework and that we were passionate about the work. But then when they would have to go to the CEO and on the golf course and explain, Hey, we want to go with these guys down in San Diego. They're like, who, what Just use someone in LA or New York and overlay the fact that, you know, we were, we were fully certain that courageous ideas were the only ones that matter that if we built like a, a, a point of view piece on courage, that that would be an asset that we could drop on the desks of decision makers. And that would just be, give us a, a step up on the competition. And then of course what happens like great storytelling is I go on this three-year journey and get quiet and just interview what I call the three B's, the brave, the bullish, and the brainiac. You know, on the brave side, it was astronauts and tornado chasers and Navy SEALs and Army infantrymen and firefighters. And just like, how do they do what they do? I was fascinated by how they could put their lives on the line and why do they put their lives on the line? And then on the bullish side, it was the C-suites. It was people at or vice presidents and up at Google and Apple and Amazon, some of the biggest companies in the world. And you would think that it was the little company that was could be agile, agile and nimble, but these big companies were figuring out ways to stay ahead of, of everybody else. And then on the Brainiac side, it was like clinical psychologists and Cambridge PhDs and co-writer of The Secret and people that really study the way that we're wired. And, you know, I went to television radio school, so I had no idea what's going on in the inside here. And I wanted to understand like what's really calling the shots. And you throw all that in the, in the soup and you come out with a process for teaching leaders how to be more courageous, right? Where do you take knowledge? How do you unlock that faith and where do you build action? And, and um, you know, the big joke was sort of on me. I wrote the book to position my last company and, Imagine a thousand days later going to your two partners and saying, guys, I'm leaving. Yeah, well, that went down well. Yeah. You know, it's un it's unfortunate because, you know, I went into it going, this is an investment we're going to make as a company. And um, the, the, the the truth is it was an investment. Like I, I, I wrote the book first because I feel like I needed the book. Like I needed to get myself strong. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I wrote it to position the company. It gave me the courage to fire myself. And I found something that I'm madly passionate about doing. Um, and when your company is called Courageous, Steve, your phone doesn't ring 
for all those unqualified leads now. It only rings when you have the right person who's willing to take on change or at least to have that conversation. And, you know, the amount of time wasted on unqualified leads goes away because we're very focused on like, where, where do you need courage and how do we, how do we push that forward inside the organization? I think it's super neat. The fact that you went through that whole self discovery of your own limitations around where you were courageous or not, as a case may be to end up doing what you're doing now. I think it's just really super neat. You know, it's terrifying too, right? Cause about a year before I was leaving is when I knew that I was in the wrong place for me. And you know, the irony is how can you write a book about courage and not make the courageous choice yourself and so i don't feel like i really had an option at this point right. it's like well if you're gonna li- if you're gonna write the book you gotta live the premise um and it and you know it's one of those things too that the doors that open up when you finally take action on the things in your own life and start designing your own life uh, uh along with your value system and yeah i never thought i'd be a keynote speaker i never thought i'd be an author on a topic like this i never thought i'd have my own courageous podcast where we're having really amazing guests come on ourselves and you just sort of follow the the thread and you keep going and you're at peace being in the in the middle of it all and you just you just see where it takes you and that's part of being courageous too it's letting go of what you believe to be true and letting stuff happen right yeah it's like where what are you what are you controlling that you really shouldn't be controlling and what what aren't you controlling that you should be controlling if that makes any sense whatsoever, right? Yeah, it makes no sense to me, yeah. You, you know, like one of the things I found myself saying recently, and I'd love your take on this, is like, you know, there's this famous line, like the customer is always right. The customer is always right. Like the customer, is, I don't think is always right. Like, especially if you've discounted your product completely and you've now like landed on the wrong customer. And the only reason they're interested in you is because you've discounted your product for so much. That is not the right customer. And, I believe the values are always right. Like if the values of the company are set and they're not BS and they're real, that should be what's mirroring the people in your company, your products, your communication, and your customer. So if the values are always right, which is a place I think you can control, right? Like that is on you to control that. Then there's an an arrow that lives directly from those values all the way through to the customers that are acquiring, buying your stuff, whether it's content or a product. Thoughts? My thoughts are the customer is always right in their mind about what they feel, what they want, what they want to experience. But in fact, I think it's more about the fact that you haven't got the right customers. Agreed. Agreed. And I like the way you said that too. Like, because I think realistically, if you're going to, if you're going to run into my brand for the first time and I'm going to give it, give it to you for 50% off, good for you. Take it. But when I try to try to charge you a full price, you're probably looking somewhere else. And then, therefore, they're the wrong customers correct? because they don't see the value in what you're trying to do, right? Yeah. Got it. Now, in your book, you have a question I want to put to you. I'm dying to find out the answer. The question was, what do an astronaut, a Navy SEAL, the co-founder of Method, the former VP of communications at Apple, and the president of Domino's all have in common? What is it? Wow. Okay. By the way, you're the first person to ever ask me this question. And the answer, the obvious answer is they weren't afraid to take action. Okay. All of them. All right, right. They, they, you know, even with the obstacles in their in the way, you know, Domino's throwing out a, a family-wide recipe and, 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 then, and then having the courage to change that and tell America that they changed it, or an astronaut who's not afraid to take action and f- fulfill her dream of going into space. Um, the, you know, the CEO, founder of Method, 
having the courage to look at a whole category of how it's always been done and yet still going on that long journey and um, finding a new formula that's a cleaner formula that they call themselves the people against dirty and, um, and, and pushing forward with that formula. I mean, I love the method soap story because it is a commodity category. They found a way to make soap cool. Like, like people want to work for a soap company. How, how amazing is that? That's nice. That's really cool. The point is like, like if soap can, if soap can do it, any category can do it, right? Like if you can make soap cool, right? Same thing with dominoes, right? There's, I tried to pick commodity arenas, dominoes, right? This is cheese. This is sauce. This is dough. They've, they found a way to take their stock price from $3 to $300. Their return on courage just by changing the formula and then being vulnerable with America here, at least where it started and saying, Oh yes, we did. We changed everything from the crust up really played well here in the state. So while we're on the food metaphor and you're a great storyteller in the book, you have the fact that leaders have got to have this taste for courage. How would that manifest itself? I mean, I think um, where it came up was with an interview with a guy named Jay Cohn Gilbert. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with B Corp, B corporations over there. It's like the good housekeeping seal of approval for purpose-driven companies over here. And Jay's, Jay, before he was doing this, was running a, uh, a basketball and apparel brand called And One. It, it did have a really good run um, on Nike Way like about 15 years ago. And um, the conversation was like, you know, it's interesting because courage to me, this is Jay, and he goes, courage to me is a... It's not like a right in front of you thing. It's a peripheral thing because you're so focused on the day to day and you, you've just got so much on your plate. But if you just put the business on timeout for one minute, you recognize how central this concept of courage needs to be if you're going to win the long term game. And that was it. It was like, how do you how do you take this concept that sometimes isn't top of mind? It's this peripheral idea and, and start to bring it back to the top of mind. Because if this is the difference, and I, and I truly believe that courage is a competitive advantage for any company who can unlock it. And when you look at the staggering statistics of how many companies are failing or dying off, it, it is absurd. You're going to have 9,000 brands that rattle on and off the Fortune 500 here in the next six decades. Yeah. And so I, I think of all things, it's, it's knowing like, okay, this is a moment where we can be courageous. And being overt about talking about like this is the opportunity with your team. Just love that. Really simple. And that's that's the premise, isn't it? It's around something that is innate and conscious, making that front of your mind so that it's really clear what action you do need to take. And I think that's the issue too. Like you you probably have, like even if you're I mean, look think about your listeners. Like if you're you've made it eighteen minutes in here today and you're a curious soul and you want to be better, you want to be proactive at your work. But the question is, like, is anyone else at your company actually listening to this podcast as well? And maybe that's how it starts is, like, get all 10 of your teammates in a room and listen to this podcast at the same time. Because if you're playing off one playbook and they're playing off of another, you can see why we have a hard time with, with change. And that's the thing. The whole point of the playbook is to get us all on the same page, all having the same conversation, which is hard to do when you have so much other stuff going on in your life. You're trying to balance a family and you're going through a pandemic and you just don't want to get fired. And, you know, there's all the, the normal things that we don't like to talk about, but we should be talking about, right? Because hundred percent of your time is not just 
the 80 hours or 60 hours you spend on your business. It's all the other things too. And, and um, I think the, the, the minute you bring context into the equation, then you can start to address, okay, we really don't have that much time. And if we're going to jump in front of somebody, let's make sure we, we give them our best shot, which is, again, I know I'm a broken record here, but why I feel so strongly about the courageous idea. We're not wasting people's time and it's going to break through and hopefully it starts to connect and land with people. And it's also a learned behavior, right? Something you have to practice at. I really do believe that to be true. I think it's a muscle and it's like going to the mental gym and um, and, and starting to grow that muscle. And uh, I'll give you an example in the book. So the way the book's broken down, I don't actually say this in the book, um, but like the front half of the of Return on Courage is like the why now? Like why now of all things do we need courage? And why now do I see this as a competitive advantage. And we, we, we kind of like go through the, the four truths of what I call the business apocalypse. And if one of them was happening by themselves, that'd be brutal enough. But the fact that all four are swirling, you get why we need to make change now. Then there's a three page chapter um, in the middle of the book called break glass before emergency. <laughs> and the idea is, okay, let's get you ready because you need to know how to do this stuff you know, before you actually need it. Um, and then the back half is the how. You know, we talked to tears about our why, where's the how? And the how is building that muscle, as you've stated. It is going to the mental gym, getting the reps you need, which knowledge should you be following? How do we build faith with ourselves or with our team? And then it's go time. Where do we take action? Um, but one of the cool things about the book is sitting with a, got to sit with a guy named Jeff Boss, who's a Navy SEAL. And then I also sat with a woman named Trisha, Trisha Balin Chaplin. I'm hoping I just got her name right who was um, a bank teller. Now, the Navy SEAL willingly knows that when they go through their training, they are going to see some things on the other side, right? They, they, they get, like, they call it stress inoculation, by the way, which sounds like marketing to me. It, but basically, it's, it's definitely marketing, yeah. You know, it's like, you're, you're going to see everything in training, so by the time you see live rounds in the real world, you'll, it, it'll, it won't feel the same. You'll be ready for it. And that higher purpose, all that training, you can see why a Navy SEAL would go through that for whatever reason that they do. Now, Trisha, as a bank teller, she wasn't looking to be bold or courageous. She was looking to get a job. And like the only way she gets the job is to pass the, the actual module, the training module on what happens if your bank gets robbed. And, and if you don't pass that module, guess what? You don't get a job. She's not looking to be a hero. So she, she and this is up in Canada. She, she goes through the module, she passes with flying colors, and wouldn't you know it, a year later, she gets robbed in, a, in the bank. And she follows the protocol to a T, and um, she, she, she tells me a story about, you know, hey, let's not turn this into a homicide. And, um, and her body just takes over. The, the, the training takes over. And, and afterwards, when the robber leaves, she goes to the cage to her boss, and she's like, I was, I was just robbed. And... They react, and she then sees their reaction and reacts off that, then finally breaks down and starts crying. But her body went into, it went into like autopilot, right? It went into the, the training that she had learned, and she doesn't see herself as courageous. She just sees herself as like, I was just doing my job and following what I was supposed to be doing. Same thing with Jeff Boss, the Navy SEAL. He goes, I don't think, I don't see anything as I've done as courageous. I see it as a byproduct of the purpose I'm pursuing. And so there's a little bit of irony here, right? Like when you do things that are courageous over time, 
it feels less courageous the more you do it. And the fear of the unknown, as it becomes known, the fear goes away. And you do it again and again and again, and you really start to grow that muscle. And then you've seen that thing, and it makes it a little bit easier each time out. So that to me is the irony here is like, I don't, am I really being courageous? We're almost full circle back at the beginning of what we talked about. I've now like done some courageous things enough times. And I think you got to be careful because like you sound really pretentious being like, I'm courageous. But when you do those things, it makes it easier for you to try new things and keep pushing forward. I suspect it's also easier observed by others. So others will perceive courageous behavior in others easier than you might see it in yourself. Is that a fair observation? Yeah, I think so. Um, and again, back to its relative. Right. Right. So, so what's courageous to you might not be courageous to me just by the experiences we've both been on. And that, that um, you know, that Red Bull winged man, you know, the guy jumps out of planes with, with uh, no parachute, just the wingsuit, right? Like they've, they've properly trained for that jump, right? And they know what the weather looks like on that particular day, if it's going to minimize a little bit of the risk. And it's still courageous. And but to somebody like me who has no training, that's a reckless move. That's not a courageous move. Mm-hmm. You know, but to that person who's trained for it their whole lives, they they understand the risk that comes with it. So given your vast watching observations and being courageous yourself, what do you say is the biggest blocker for individuals being courageous? Um, I think by far it's just the action piece. You know, because so many people and this is just the the way our minds are are like are constructed, right? We have we have this thing that's calling all of the shots inside your mind called your in your body called your central nervous system right and that doesn't exactly just come up in normal conversations now does it or you're like hi honey how's your central nervous system feeling today or did you see the game last night man their central nervous system was was wasn't even there and (laughs) when you break when you break that that term down central at the core of you system you're an operating system you're a computer and right there in the middle is nervous nervousness your standard operating system is nervousness and it's it's designed to keep you safe but it's it's sending up signals saying don't do that don't suggest that don't try that here's why and it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do but it's a system that's been around a little bit and we really haven't evolved at the level that we thought we could so the whole idea is how do you help people develop what i call a central courage system like if i could help you develop that muscle develop that central courage system to combat what your central nervous system's trying to do, it will give you the tools to to try and to take action and to start off with maybe a little experiments. And then as those little experiments work, then you turn them into bigger experiments. And you can do that even at work. And so it's recognizing first, because it's hard to be courageous if you don't recognize a courageous opportunity, spot that opportunity first, put resources towards it, make a psychological safe arena for your team to play in, and then get that central courage system going and, and explore a little bit, experiment a little bit. The next part of the show is where I get to turn the leadership lens on you. And this is where you now have to get a bit more courageous because I'm going to be tapping into your leadership mind. First thing I'd like to explore with you, Ryan, is if you were going to give some advice or tips, what would be your top three leadership hacks? Wow. Uh, okay. I think the number one hack by far is to really get to know your personal core values and treat yourself like a business. And if you can't rattle off your own personal core values, 
and Steve, permission granted, like to have your guest email me at Ryan Berman at couragebrands.com. I, I will send you the values assessment and it's not lame or anything like that. I'm not asking for anything from you, but like we spend all this time scrolling social media now and I wish you'd, we'd spend more time scrolling ourselves. And so I would, I would get really clear, crystal clear of your top four personal core values. I'd put them in the order that they matter most. And I would start making decisions based off of those values. And I think that leads me to the second hack, because once you have that level of clarity, you've got to find tools to operationalize those values. Uh, one of the things I still do today is I've changed all of my alarms on my cell phone. I've got like multiple alarms, but the labels that come up are messages or affirmations that I need to see throughout the day just to make sure I'm like abiding by what I believe in. And I know that sounds silly to be like, well, if you really believe in it, you don't need a message, but it's just important to like start my day off seeing what I need to see, right? To stay on like focused and on the straight and narrow. So, you know, my, my core values, they, first thing I see in the morning when my alarm goes off are the values, or sometimes I'll see build strong central courage systems. And um, it just keeps me focused on the things I need to do. And then, I'd say the, so however you can, like, however you need to operationalize your values, whether that's putting them on a piece of paper on your refrigerator, or on your phone or on your lap, you know, your computer, get a tattoo of it on your face, whatever, whatever works for you. And then three is mentorship. Find a mentor. And, and it, that's not, that's nothing to do with age. Maybe your mentor is younger than you. Um, maybe, maybe they're older. But like just somebody, I mean, even this is a courageous act declaring a mentor and say, hey, do you mind like if I can, you know, we can talk once a month and I can, you know, ask questions on how you did this or, you know, you're my mentor. And it's a hard conversation, but a needed one. And we spend a lot of time inside our heads and we need we need to get out of our heads a little bit and and um and bounce off other people they are awesome hacks thanks ryan i love the whole principle of thinking of yourself as a business really neat i mean you know we do it for all these brands like well okay treat yourself like a brand like what are you really all about in the world and by the way you'll be happier like if you can design a life that's based off of your actual values and by the way okay well let's let's really kind of just dumb down what values are your chemical makeup, okay, your the way you're wired, like why wouldn't you be more true to that human being? And that's just clarifying your values that go, yeah, that feels like me. Yeah, that feels like me. And now that you have that clarity, imagine designing a life around that. Brilliant. Love it. Next part of the show is we call hack to attack. So this is a time where things haven't worked out as well. We may have screwed up. Things have uh, bumped into maybe a bit of adversity, but as a result of the experience, we've used it now as a positive in our life. What would be your hack to attack? By far having the courage to like leave my last company because we were, we were a 70 person agency. And again, you know, I'm going on this journey to write the book. And like I said, just imagine being realizing in your heart that your values are not perfectly aligned with your partners and that you have different goals and motives. And I, like I said, it, it, it was, taking action on, on that and leaving that even when it was scary and not knowing what was coming up next um, was a necessary reminder that you only live once. And, and even though it's scary and hard, if it's the right thing, you should, you should do it. Love it. Thank you, Ryan. 
last thing we want to do is take you on a bit of a, a metaphorical time travel and allow you to bump into Ryan at 21 and give him some advice. What's your advice going to be to him? Wow. Um, one, really appreciate the hair you have. Yeah, I know how that feels. Yeah. Why you have it in the right place. But no, two, um, you're going to be okay. Follow, follow, continue to follow the choices that you're making and don't forget to enjoy the ride a little bit. Um, but you're going to be, you're, you're, you're doing it. I'm air quoting. You're doing it right for you. Um, and keep, keep, keep going. Oh, and declare a mentor earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm stubborn. I can't imagine I'm the only one that's stubborn, but like, you know, being, being stubborn can sometimes get you in trouble and you feel like you have to do it by yourself. And, um, someone once said to me, it takes you 40 years to figure out who you are and the next 40 to be that person. And I think there's some real truth to that. So yeah. get there faster with the mentor. Love that. Fantastic stuff. Now, for folk listening to us today talk, how can they get hold of a little bit more information about you, the work that you do with Courageous? And also, it would be rude of me not to help promote your Courageous brand as well while we're here. So, you know, how can we kind of get people some more visibility about what you do? First of all, Steve, like just so, I mean, if, you're, if people are listening to you on the regular, they already know that I feel the same about you as, as they do. Like when we talked for the first time, it was so easy. And we both weren't like afraid to share our own stories. And so I, I really do love what you're doing. Um, and the fact that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. You know, guests are still, and, and you and I are going to find a way to work together on something. I don't know what it is yet, but there'll, there'll be some opportunity. Um, if you want more on me, like I said, couragebrands.com is a good place to start. If, if you're, if you're ready to really go to the playbook, that would be returnoncourage.com. Um, or just email me like the, if you wanted the core values assessment, Ryan Berman at couragebrands.com. And, uh, you know, I welcome questions or comments and, uh, you know, like I said, I, I'm very at peace with the idea that like we're all in different places in our journey. And if I can help in any way, please reach out. Fantastic. And they'll all be in the show notes as well. Ryan, it's been awesome talking. You know, I've been so pleased that we've met and it's been a while since we spoke last, but it only feels like yesterday. So thanks ever so much for coming to join us on the Leadership Hacker podcast. You've been a great guest. Thanks, Steve. Be good over there. Stay safe. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker and at YouTube we're just leadership hacker so that's me signing off I'm Steve Rush and I've been the leadership hacker